The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. This morning, um, this morning we're reading from Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34, and it's titled, Do Not Be Anxious. You can find this on page 871 in the Bibles that are kind of scattered underneath the chairs, or you can follow along. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? If then you are not able to do as small as things that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is God's word. So we're right in the middle of a series uh, in the Gospel of Luke. We're calling it The Cross and Crown. And so it's about this, the life of Jesus, what the Gospel of Luke is. It's the good news as told by Luke of who Jesus was and what he did. And uh, as we're in this section, we're going to be in the section that uh, Allison read and the section just before that, verses 13 through uh, 21, and then verses 22 through 34 that she read for us this morning. But at this time of year, uh, we're usually thinking about or working on things that make us unhappy. So I don't know where you stand on New Year's resolutions. Some of you already made them and already broke them. Uh, me, I'm the kind of guy, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, a little bit of a rebel. And so I'm like, 
I, I'm just obstinate enough to like hard-headed and probably prideful enough. Like I'm not going to be one of the people that have a January 1st deal, but I, I will think about it going into the new year and I'll wait a week or two before I kick into my resolutions just so I won't be one of you people that jump in on January 1st. And, uh, but we this, tend to, at this time of year, the new year, we're thinking about things that make us unhappy, things that we need to change. So I need to change the way I'm eating or spending or saving or working or uh, cleaning or what are the case may be that we're thinking about how things that we need to change, things that are making us unhappy. And that's really what Jesus is talking about in this section. He's teaching us about the things that make us unhappy. He's really, in a lot of ways, even though America didn't exist at this time, he's really, in a lot of ways, talking about the American dream, or specifically your dream. Not like the American dream out there, but what your dream is. What it is that you and I picture that would make us happy and content. It's interesting, there's a show that I watch sometimes, don't judge me, it's called Black-ish. Anybody, don't raise your hand, but it's a, some, some episodes are terrible and some episodes are really profound. But the beginning of one episode, he's talking about how the American dream has morphed through the years. He's talking about how our parents, or really their parents, to them the American dream was have a good job, be able to buy a house, have a car, have the two and a half kids, and maybe be able to retire one day and be able to live. Like, that was the American dream. But now when we picture the American dream, we picture something much bigger and grander. Part of that is because we're spoiled. Part of that is because we're exposed to more things because of social media and TV. We, you know, I, I grew up, well, I, I didn't have cable, so I didn't do it. But I was at friend's house secretly watching MTV. Sorry, Mom, if you listen to this. I was at friend's house secretly watching MTV. I grew up watching MTV Cribs. You see people showing off their lavish, amazing lifestyle. And no matter how happy you are with the house that you live and the car that you drive, you're happy with it until you see somebody else's house or you see somebody else's car or you get in somebody else's car and you think, I live in a dump. I drive a rat trap. I, I live a terrible life. We're happy until we see the other thing. The American dream has grown. It's amazing. We live like the Jetsons, and yet we're incredibly unhappy. If you kids are younger, you won't know what the Jetsons are, but it was a cartoon about the future where the only thing that we well, there's two things that they had that we don't have, really. One is flying cars, and the other is, depending on what episodes you watch, sometimes they would have a food-o-matic that would, it would like, you press in, you want a hamburger, and it would magically pop out of a machine. We don't have that yet quite, but everything else we have. I have here a phone. I can talk to people around the world with it. I can do all kinds of things with it. We hardly ever look up from them anymore. We live like the Jetsons, and yet we're incredibly unhappy. We have so much, and yet we're never satisfied. So the question I want you to think about as we're moving on, the section is, what is it that you are concentrating on in your life? What is it that if you're honest with yourself, I like to play the game, I told you before, right answer, real answer, there's the right answer, or AKA church answer, where somebody asks you something and you know the right answer to give me back, but then there's the real answer. 
The right answer is, hey, I'm watching what I eat. The real answer is 1045 after everybody goes to bed, I've got that secret stash in the pantry. Right answer, real answer. What is it that you really, honestly, truly believe would make you happy or make you content? Jesus tells this story. A man walks up to him and said, teacher, tell my brother, he has an issue that's going on, a family issue. I don't know if you've ever dealt with this before. Uh, it's, it's interesting, somebody dies in the family and all of a sudden the, your family becomes, depending on how you're put together, either outright vultures or passive aggressive vultures trying to circle in for the kill or pick apart the what remains there. And he came to Jesus and said, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with him. That's verse 13 of chapter 12. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told him a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, that you and me, that may not sound like a big deal, but in an agrarian society, your land producing plentifully would be a windfall of cash for you. It would be like a man created a startup and it was bought out by Google. That's basically what he's saying. He has a windfall of unexpected cash, And he said to himself, or he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? That's how much this land had produced. It had produced crazily more than it ever had before so that this farmer, this fairly wealthy farmer we know because of the basis of the story, in his whole history of his family did not have enough storehouses to store. It was an unprecedented amount of wealth. It'd be like, I secretly won the lottery and I don't know where to put all this money. What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. Verse 18, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now that actually sounds like a pretty good plan, doesn't it? And I will say to my soul, soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I just described the modern American dream. To have a sudden windfall of cash so that I don't have to work again. I can build bigger houses, bigger barns to store it in, live off of the rest of my life, and eat, drink, and be merry. That's what most of us picture if I had a sudden windfall of cash, if I won the lottery, if uh, my secret rich uncle died and all of a sudden I had this huge sum of money, that's what I would do with my life. But then hear how God responds to him. But God said to him in verse 20, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you're prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. 
What Jesus is describing in this parable and the verses that follow it that Allison read for us is he's describing or he's declaring the currency of the new kingdom that he's bringing in. He's describing the economy of the new kingdom that he's bringing in. Because the economy in the new kingdom that Jesus is king of, the kingdom that's already here partially and will be here fully when he returns, is an upside-down kingdom to the way that you and I think. Because I will be honest with you, when I read the story of this man, it's called the rich fool, when I read the story about his plan with the sudden windfall of cash, I think that sounds like a pretty good plan. But God's version God's appraisal, God's judgment, is this a foolish plan? Not only is it a foolish plan, but he calls the man a fool for planning on it. We're going to look at three things, three truths that Jesus is talking about. He says, first of all, he's going to tell us your life isn't defined by the amount of your possessions. Your life isn't defined by the amount of your possessions, but how you feel about your possessions does expose your true treasure. And then we're gonna see how to invest in a treasure that lasts. First of all, your life isn't defined by the amount of your possessions. At the beginning of this, before he tells this story, when the man comes up to him and tells him, hey, my brother's not being fair, tell him to be nice to, to me. And Jesus says, who may be a judge? Then he says to, the, to everyone, he says, take care and be on your guard. Now, that the English doesn't really convey the full strength of what he's trying to get across there. Uh, in the original language, it, has to, it, it, was, it was the warning that you would give a city or a town that has a pending invasion. When he says, beware, take heed, be on your guard, he's saying an enemy is on its way. You got to be on your guard and be careful. You must take heed. It's a solemnly serious command. Why should we take heed? Because your life is not defined by the amount of your possessions. Now, that statement that I said, that I just repeated or what Jesus said, most of us here in this room are probably thinking, well, what you're saying doesn't really apply to me, so I'm going to zone out and think about how cold it is, or I'm going to zone out and think about lunch, or I'm going to zone out and think about the Clemson game tomorrow. <laughs> That's excuse today, by the way. I'm going to zone out and think about those things because I don't really have enough possessions to actually be concerned about. This does not apply to me. But let's look at what are possessions. If your life isn't defined by the type or the amount of possessions that you have, what are possessions? Well, first of all, possessions could be money. The amount of money that you have in the bank or in your pocket or invested away, the amount of money that you have. That's pretty obvious, right? Some of us in here are thinking, hey, I have a little bit. Some of us in here, this still does not apply to me. I have $20.01 to my name. That's all that I have right now. This does not apply to me. 
But he's saying that your life isn't defined by the possessions that you have. It doesn't mean it's not defined by whether you have a lot or a little. He's saying your life is not defined by the amount of money that you have, a lot or a little. And see, that runs counter to the American culture. It's the water that you and I swim in. It's so much a part of our culture and who we are that we don't even recognize that, it's, that we're swimming in that stream. Because America is a meritocracy. You can go as far, as high, they say, as you're willing, as you have smarts or hard work or get some breaks. But like, you, you can go as far and as high as you want to go in whatever area you want to go in, as long as you have the ability. And what they're saying is, your value is determined by how much you can get back in return. And so, if you have a lot of money stashed away, you feel pretty good about your value. If you don't have much stashed away, you'll feel pretty poorly. And Jesus is saying, your life, your value is not defined by the amount of your money, a lot or a little. Possessions could also be stuff that we have. I just put stuff because there's a lot of stuff. America is a consumer society. There's a lot of stuff. It depends on kind of what your stuff is, right? I tend to be a gadget guy. My stuff is gadgets, which happens to be the most, like, one of the most expensive hobbies to have. My mom used to tell me that she could cut the lights off in a store and cut them back on again a minute later. I'd be standing beside the most expensive thing in the store. She said I was born with champagne taste on a whatever. I don't think she said Schlitz malt liquor budget, but basically that's what she was saying. I have... I love those things, but each of us have different stuff. For some of us, it's fashion. For some of us, it's cars. For some of us, it's houses. For some of us, it's decorations. For some of us, it is, it could be any number of things, but whatever your stuff is, we are tempted to define our life by the amount of stuff that we have. Person who dies with the most stuff wins. Now, It's funny to me that we really never get far past middle school. Like in middle school, it's just more open about how you would openly mock each other about wearing, I don't know, they probably don't still say bobos, but for for me, like I was always wearing off-brand sneakers and I would get not for wearing bobos. They were off-brand sneakers. It wasn't like whatever the cool sneakers were. I had the, 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 cheaper version of it you know I didn't have the Reebok pumps I had the whatever LA gear pump. I don't even remember. I don't remember you know like I, I the the boat like but we we would knock each other about that stuff but we're nicer about it now as adults so we're still doing the same thing we do it in our mind we do it with our friends we do it in a nice way we may even do it in a Christian way but we're all but we're comparing I have more stuff or I have less stuff less stuff But Jesus says your life is not defined by the amount of money that you have in your account or the amount of stuff that you have in your house. Neither are possessions. I think this is the new kind of possessions in America is experiences. 
we look, I know I say it all the time, but we look on Instagram and Facebook and people around us are having amazing lives. They're, they're going to uh, amazing destinations. They're doing amazing things. They're jumping, they're sliding down waterfalls. They're jumping out of planes. They're looking out over oceans. They're sipping Mai Tais, looking at the sunset. Like they're doing all these amazing things around us and we feel pressured to experience the same things that they're experiencing. And so we will spend money until our bank account is empty experiencing great experiences. We want our children to have experiences that we didn't have as children. We want to experience them ourselves. We want to do these things. And so we look around and we see people who are having better experiences than we are and we feel lower or, we, or we're having better experiences than they are and we feel higher. Experiences can be things too. An experience can be a possession. Your life is not defined by the amount of or the nature of experiences that are in your Instagram feed or in your memory banks or in pictures on your wall. Your life is not defined by money. Your life is not defined by stuff. Your life is not defined by experiences. And your life is not defined by your resume. That can be your job resume. That can be your life resume. We're all building a resume. Education, job, uh, background, family, whatever it is that is your deal, we're building a resume and we compare them. We look around and we see other people who have more education or less education. We look around and see people who have better jobs or lesser jobs. We look around and see people who have Whatever the case may be, better families, less families, more kids, less kids, more spouses, less spouses, like whatever the case may be, like we're comparing. Your life is not defined by the money or the stuff or the experiences or the resume that you possess, whether they are a lot or whether they are little. Why? This is why. Because in verse 20, God said to this man, fool, This night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Jesus says, your life is not defined by the possessions that you have, the money, the stuff, the experiences, the resume, whether it's a lot or a little because they are, first of all, they are fleeting. Investing in the things of this world is like, investing in anything other than Apple back in the 80s. It's like investing in Betamax tapes instead of VHS or what was it? Uh, What was that? HD DVD instead of Blu-ray? Like you you build a whole collection of movies and then that technology is gone away with you can't even buy a player to play it anymore. That's what investing in this world is like. It is fleeting. There's always something better and one day this whole world, all the things of this world will fade away and the permanent comes. Your life is not determined by or defined by your money and your stuff, your experiences or your resume because every single one of those things are fleeting. It may not feel like it's fleeting when you're in the middle of it, when you feel that pressure. 
but it is. He says it's fleeting, and he says they're foolish to trust in. It's foolish to trust him because who's ever to say enough is enough? In Ecclesiastes, it talks about how the, the eye of man is never satisfied. Because whatever your dream car is, once you own it and you've driven it in a little while, it's not your dream car anymore. You can ask Doug. He's building one from scratch because the other cars weren't enough. You get the new iPhone and you have it and it's cool for a while until the next cool thing comes out. And when you invested time and energy and effort into education, into stuff, into experiences, into a resume that you think is gonna give you a sense of value and belonging, and then when you get it, it gets old news. My son begged last Christmas, I think it was last Christmas, for this robot cat. He begged for it for weeks and weeks and months. It was this cat that would kind of had like wheels on its feet and it would move creepily around and it had this like electronic ball thing you could make it play with and it would move and meow annoyingly. Its eyes lit up like weird, like it's gonna come, like a demon cat's gonna come attack you. They would turn red when he was angry. Like he was, uh, like he had this thing though. He had, he, had, he had asked for it almost every day for probably two months. And he got it and he played with it. I'm gonna give him five minutes, but I don't, I don't even think it was five minutes. And it, within 24 hours, not only was he not playing with it, but he had broken it and he set it aside. And that's really us with about everything. We want it so bad because it promises us happiness. And we get it. And it can never deliver. Your life isn't defined by the amount of your possessions. But how you feel about your possessions, your money, your stuff, your resume, your experiences, how you feel about those does expose your true treasure. In that story about the rich fool, it's interesting. Notice how the man spoke about his possessions or his investment. In verses, really in verse 17 through 19, so Three verses, in three verses, in the English, I counted, he used the word I six times in those three verses. And the word me, another five times. In the Greek, he uses the word I eight times, and the word me four times. He uses the, he talks about me or I 12 times within three verses, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have, made, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Our dreams are centered around 
ourselves and the deepest longing of our souls. The question isn't how you think about your possessions, your money, your experiences, your resume, your, um, your stuff. It's not how you think about them that really tells you the truth. It's how you feel about them. Now, your feelings will lie to you in a lot of things, but your feelings do not lie to you in this arena. It's how you feel about how much or how little you have of of your possessions that shows your true heart. Jesus explains in verses 22 through 34 that there are he, he displays two ways that showcase, or two things that showcase our, what, what we could call misplaced treasure or our inordinate affections. And inordinate affection is a affection that might be, might be an okay affection, but we either place too much on it or we place the right amount of affections on the wrong thing. We're going to see two sides of the same coin, but, they're very, but they look very different. He, if you notice in verses 17 through 19 and verse 15, the story about the, about the rich fool, he's highlighting greed and selfishness or covetousness. Greed and selfishness or covetousness is about having more. Either about taking pride in the amount of more that you have or being consumed with a drive to have more. Greed is toward things and selfishness or covetousness is towards other people. I have greed because I think about things. I think about getting stuff. If I'm honest with myself and I'm honest with the people around me, I know the right answer. I can tell you what I should think about things, but how I really feel about them, I feel a longing in my soul to get Things, to get experiences, to get money, to get stuff, to, get, uh, res- my, to build my resume. I long for those things. I'm greedy and selfish towards, I'm greedy towards those things. I'm selfish to the other people around me when they're honing in on my chance to get those things. I'm nice to people until they get into my way of getting my stuff. That's I don't know, 50, I'm making up stats again, 50% of the arguments that I have with my wife is because I feel that she's getting in the way of me getting something that I need or I really, really want. And that's true for all of us. A lot of the conflict that we have is when people are getting in our way of getting the things, the resume, the money, the stuff, the experiences that I feel that I need to have. He talks about all the way in verses 22 through 31 about anxiety and fear. And he said to his disciples, verse 22, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you eat, or nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Verse 29, and do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. 
anxiety and fear look very different than greed and selfishness. They're probably more acceptable in our culture than outright greed and selfishness that we display, like outwardly. I can be anxious and be worried and be fearful about things and not feel very guilty about it because I'm worried about something that I do not have, which is what anxiety is or worry is. It's, it's a fear about not having enough. And maybe it's true. Maybe you don't have enough money to make your electric payment this, this month. Maybe you don't have enough money to pay for school this semester. It's different. There's a little bit of difference between anxiety and fear. I was looking at the definitions. Anxiety is energy that's expelled towards a future threat. It's energy that's expelled towards a future threat. You know, anxious energy. I'm feeling anxious or uncertain about what will happen in the future. Now, what has happened in the future has not happened yet. And it may not even be an assurance that it will happen. It just possibly could happen. And I'm anxious about it. And so I feel an anxious energy. And so I have to expel this energy in order to free myself. And so some of us expel that energy towards being super productive. We're the achievers in life. And the people around us may not understand what drives us. You're getting up early. You're the first one at work. You're, you're, you work harder. You do more than other, other people around you. And they all stand in awe of how hard you work and how much you do. And they don't know that the thing that drives you every morning when you get up is that you have an anxiety about not having enough. What if so-and-so happens, drives you to expel energy and be super productive. Or you may expel that energy towards things that are destructive. You may expel energy in ways that it could be annoying to the people around you because you have to, you may Sort of like the kid who kicks the dog because his parents discipline him. Like you take out your anxious energy on the people around you because you're concerned about what might happen. Fear is a little bit different. It's a, fear is a response to a perceived present threat. Fear not, verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom Fear not. Fear is a response to a perceived present threat. So many of us, we, we may experience both greed and selfishness and anxiety and fear, but most of us have one particular area that we tend to, to kind of run in. We feel often anxious and fearful, or we feel greedy, if we're honest, and selfish, but Jesus is telling us here that the problem isn't the abundance or lack of stuff. He's telling us that how we feel about them, both abundance and lack, simply exposes our true treasure. Look at, look at, look at verse 15 when he says, for be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What he's talking about there is when we, 
we feel greedy or selfish or or anxious or fearful because we are keeping a scorecard of our life according to money, stuff, experiences, or resume. So you feel that you're doing well at life if you're nailing those things, or you feel that you're doing poorly in life if you're not. It's how you know if you or the people around you are winning at life. And the reason that doesn't stand out to most of us is because in America, that's called being an American. That's called living a productive life is you can tell you are winning if you are doing better than the people around you and building money and stuff and experiences and resume in your life. The problem is when that doesn't work out. But Jesus is saying your life does not consist of, keep, of the scorecard that you are keeping on your money, your stuff, your experiences, or your resume. That's a faulty scorecard. You're scoring the wrong game. And then verses 23 through 24, he says, for life is more than clothing, life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens that neither sow nor they reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them, listen, this is the key phrase, of how much more value are you than the birds? Some of us feel greedy and selfish or anxious or fearful because we base our value on our ability to gain. I feel that I'm valuable if I'm able to to put food on the table for my family or my kids. I feel that I'm valuable valuable if I'm able to earn enough money to buy that ring that my fiance really wants. I feel that I'm valuable if I'm able to pay for the wedding that is the wedding of my fiance's dreams or my dreams. I feel that I'm valuable if I can put the clothes on my kids that I want to put them on. I feel that I'm valuable if when I drive my kids up to the drop-off line at school, they don't have a clunker that I'm, they're driving up in. I feel valuable or I don't feel valuable when I don't have those things. And yet Jesus is saying your value is not based upon your ability to gain or not gain. How much more value, value are you than the birds? He's saying God has placed a value upon you that is not based upon your ability to gain or your inability to gain. If you're a believer in Christ, the value that he has placed upon you is of infinite value because he gave his son for you. And Jesus Christ, this is not just something historically in the past, but Jesus Christ right now is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. Then look at verse 30. For all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. Some of us feel greedy and selfish or anxious and fearful because we believe the old lie that began in the Garden of Eden, the old lie that either God doesn't care, doesn't know, or isn't capable of helping you. God doesn't care to help you. God doesn't know that you need help. Or God isn't capable to help you if he does. But God does know, 
God does care and he is capable. Your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. The location of your treasure is a mirror to your heart. Lastly, how to invest in a treasure that lasts. First of all, it'd be helpful today, right now, and spend some time today thinking about or examining your portfolio. You like that, David? Examine your portfolio. See where have you invested? Where are you investing? Because here's the truth. All of us are investing constantly every minute of every day into something. Whether you have a lot of money or a little money, we are all investing our time, energy, and efforts into something all the same rate. Whether you have a high net worth or a low net worth or a negative net worth, we are all investing in something towards the future at the same rate and speed as everyone else. So the question is to examine your portfolio and see where are you investing? Are you investing in an earthly portfolio that bases your uh, value and bases your uh, scorecard and your sense of, uh, of worth upon your ability to gain or not gain? And so that works itself out in greed and selfishness or anxiety and fear? Or are you investing in a heavenly, eternal portfolio? Secondly, after you examine your portfolio, then break your ties to your faulty treasure or your temporary treasure. Because here's the truth, your treasure follows your heart and your heart follows your treasure. That's what Jesus says in this passage. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Break the ties to faulty or temporary treasure. And then thirdly, double down on lasting treasure. Double down on lasting treasure. Some simple ways that you can do that is you give financially. Uh, I was a part of a youth group uh, when Meg and I were both uh, younger. We were both a part of it, helped lead, lead, lead the group. And the leader of the group, we did this thing every week when we took up the offering. And part of the deal that we they said is that in giving, we declare our independence from this world system and we declare our dependence upon God's system. By giving, I'm declaring my independence from this world's economy and I'm declaring my absolute and utter dependence upon the economy of heaven, upon God's economy, the one that will not fail and go away. Simple ways that you can do that is give financially in, a, in planned ways. I, I, I was taught by my mom, I'm teaching my kids, when money comes in, I set aside a part to give before I do anything else. I set aside that part to give. It helps me to remind myself that this house, this car, these kids, this wife, this need to pay the bills each month, that is on, that is ultimately God's responsibility. I am his steward and he is my father. I do it in planned ways and then in spontaneous ways. If the thought crosses your mind to give to somebody, to help somebody out, to do something for somebody else, to support somebody that needs help, do it. 
by doing so, don't agonize on whether it's God's will or not. Do it. He's telling you, care for the poor, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. Do it, and in doing so, you declare your independence from this world system and your absolute and utter dependence upon God in lots of organized ways and spontaneous ways. If your father it owns the universe, can you ever truly be bankrupt? I'm not saying go do stupid, foolish things, but sometimes Christians do stupid and foolish things for God's glory, for his name and for his fame and for his renown. And by doing so, we are showing the people around us that Jesus is far more valuable than anything else. That to have an eternity with Jesus Christ in a lasting kingdom is far more valuable than having an extra $100 in my bank account. An extra $100 could help <coughs> me buy something that's probably stupid and needless in our American economy, or it could actually do something good for somebody and declare to people, God is good. He is ultimately awesome. Give financially, give your time. This is the harder one for me. I'm far more willing to give money to somebody than to somebody to say, hey, I need your help to do X next Saturday. I think that's my time. I'd rather hire somebody to help you and stay at home. But by giving of my, not just my finances, but my time to the people around me who need help, it declares my independence from this world system and my absolute and utter dependence upon God's. Find ways to build, just as we have a a temptation to build stuff and money and experiences and resume for here, Build stuff and money and experiences in a resume that's fit for heaven. Build an investment portfolio. Build a resume. Build a list of experiences that's befitting citizenship in heaven. And we're ending with this. Here's the truth. Your treasure follows your heart and your heart follows your treasure. By intentionally placing our investment and time and energy and money and stuff, resume, but placing our investment in heaven, it places our heart with God. And it helps us to discover that ultimate pleasure and ultimate happiness doesn't lie in the American dream. It lies in knowing and being known by the God of the universe and living in his pleasure and his favor. It helps us to discover that ultimate pleasure and joy is found in him alone in a million ways. And it helps people around us see that he is the ultimate pleasure in the world. And there's no lasting joy or pleasure found outside of him.
Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you're a Christian, you get the kingdom, the kingdom that is coming and will last forever. If you're not a Christian today, I would urge you, make today the day that you reject this world and its system, bow your knee to Christ and accept him as your savior. Father, I thank you for the truth that our value, our security, our worth is not found in our net worth. Our value, our security, our worth is not found in the experiences that we have or the resume that we're building. Our value and worth is found in you, and how you think and feel about us and what you have done on our behalf. Father, I pray that you would help us to find that ultimate enjoyment and happiness in you and in no other other thing, no false treasure. That you would make us into a people who are building a resume or a portfolio that's befitting heaven for your glory and for our joy. In your son's name we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.